Well, hey, we're in the book of Romans, and if we look at the book of Romans, we probably need to put a word across the top when we get into chapters 9, 10, and 11, right? This is a section of Scripture we have pressed through so much, but in 9, 10, and 11, I just want to give you one word, and that's unbelief, right? There's this Jewish nation, the Israelites, that have been in a place of unbelief. And that unbelief is very focused, right? They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. So as the Old Testament is pointing forward, writing about this Messiah, this King, Jesus fulfills it all, but they do not believe it. They have backed away from it. Well, what's significant is that that unbelief persist even today. And so what we get into a chapters or chapters like this, we start asking ourselves, well, what is the significance for us? And as I said last time, and I want to keep bringing it back, the significance of this is that if God fails to fulfill not just one or two, but all of His promises that He made to Israel, then how are you and I going to believe and trust that He'll fulfill all the promises He's made to you? And so it becomes significant that we do a deep dive into this. Now, as we look at chapters 9, 10, and 11, we come into this problem with this unbelief. And the unbelief raises a huge stake. The critical issue is this. When you do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you become an enemy of God. So what Paul was writing was that because the Jewish nation persisted in an unbelief against the Messiah, Jesus Christ, they were now enemies of God. And that's true of anyone who does not believe that Jesus Christ is a Messiah. And the only way to find that reconciliation so that God is not your enemy is to trust Jesus Christ. Now, all of us have people probably, well, you all don't because you're so beautiful and so kind and so loving, but all other people, other than you, have enemies. There's just people now and then that don't like you, right? Now, on the big scale of things, you can have someone that doesn't like you, but I'll tell you this, I would never want a bee to be an enemy of God, right? You can be an enemy of a lot of people, but being an enemy of God is not good. So now we're reading this, and that's the story. They are enemies of God. This nation that was once the elect, the chosen, this, where God has put his favor on them, where he says, you are my treasured possession, they are now in a posture of being enemies with God. So does that mean that they're no longer the chosen? And Paul said, no way, they're still chosen. Has God removed his electing love? No way, God still has kept his electing love on them. They are still his treasured position, possession. But now here's what's thrown salt into the wound, right? Is that God says, I'm going to turn away from you, my chosen people, and turn to the Gentiles. That 
is where things get a little sticky. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to press on a little further into this unbelief, this issue with Israel. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? If you can get it on your device, open it in your Bible. Uh, it'll be on the screens. But I'm going to pick up in verse 11, chapter 11. Paul writes this, Again I ask, did they, that is Israel, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Father, <laughs> when you set your love on people, it's not a fickle kind of love. When you put your affections and choose a nation out of all the nations of the world, you do not pull back your covenants you do not break covenants. You do not reject your people. But God, you can see, as we can see, how confusing it is for the nation. So God, this morning as we study your word, bring us into it because it touches our lives. You made and established a new covenant with us. A new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And in God, we need to see and know that if you broke a covenant with Israel, you would break it with us. But that could never be because of who you are. Speak into our lives. Fill us with hope. Fill us with joy so that we can persevere together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Now, I got to say, as we think about Israel, just to give you a sense of what's happening in the world, there are approximately, these numbers are hard to get, but 50 million Israelites in the world today. 15 million Jews. If you count where you have a one parent or one person in the marriage as Jewish, that number jumps up to about 21 million people. Alright? So let's just use the number 15 million for a moment here. There are approximately 350 thousand messianic jews in the world today now just think about that when i talk about unbelief it means there are millions 14.6 plus million that are still in this unbelief a messianic jew is someone who recognizes that jesus christ is the promised Messiah. Out of these Messianic Jews, these Jewish people that have identified themselves with Messiah, with King Jesus, 
There's most of them living outside of Israel. In fact, a great number live in the United States. So God is doing an amazing thing as we think about it. 350,000. But by the time we get to the end of chapter 11, I think your heart's going to be soaring as you look at what God's going to do as history unfolds. But that's not where we are today. Let's dive into where we are today. And the first idea that I'd like to bring home is that the question that's asked at the very beginning of the chapter, or very beginning of what we read this morning, is Did Israel stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? That, that's the question on the table, right? That's how Paul moves this chapter forward. He asks a question and then he answers it. And as we look at it, we see in verse 11, the first part of verse 11, we've got two words that we need to do a deep dive into. The first one is this, is the word stumble. What does Paul mean by the word stumble? Did they stumble? And the second one is, or phrase, fall beyond recovery. So let's take the first one first. Did they stumble? That is referring to their hardness of heart, their their unbelief. Their, their resistance to a turn to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So did that stumble cause them, that unbelief, that hard-heartedness, cause them to fall beyond recovery? In other words, is it permanent? That's what it means here. Fall beyond recovery. He's talking about a permanence. Did their unbelief move them into a permanent state? And it says here very clearly, not at all. In the strongest of phrase, with clarity, without stuttering, God wants to make clear through the Apostle Paul, not at all. He has got plans for the nation of Israel, even if they don't know it, and even if they don't believe it. And let me just say, that's true of you and me. God's got promises and things He wants to do in your life, even if you don't know it, and even if you don't believe it. God has good things for us. So here we are in verse 11, and now we need to hit a pause button. Because I want to go into the question that affects not only Israel, but affects you and me, and how we walk with God. When we talk about hard-heartedness, what are we talking about? We, we, we need to do some analysis. We need to do some diagnostics of what it means to have a hard heart. Now, so I don't lose anybody, I want to flip the question to the positive. So I'm going to answer both of them. How is it you and me, we, grow in a deeper relationship with God. Now, to answer that question, we need three pieces. And a lot of times, people focus on one piece of the equation. If you want to grow closer to God, if you want to go deeper in your relationship with God, and by the way, remember, we ask a question at Fox Valley Church. One of the questions we ask is, do you want to follow Christ? Good question, right? Last week we had a young man here in the service and he said, I just need you to know I'm an atheist and I think everything you're teaching is a fairy tale. So they're here. 
And we invite them. I love that. I want people here studying, thinking about the Word of God because it's powerful. The Word of God is powerful. So right here, we have people struggling with belief structures. So the question then is, how do we grow deeper with Christ? How is it we we nurture it? Or how do we keep ourselves from a hard heart? There's three pieces to this. The first one is desires, right? Desires. So if we look at this, this idea of desires, we're talking about the affections of the heart, the affections of the heart. So when I think about that, we remember that we're told to love God with all of your heart. Remember that? Matthew 22, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says that we are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But at this point, I just want to talk about loving God with all of your heart. It says in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, right? Delight. This is an issue, an element of the affections of your heart. This is what I'm talking about. Desires here become so significant that our hearts are fixed right. Jesus in John chapter 5, he's speaking to the Jewish group, but a lot of them were religious leaders that were there. And he says this to them. He says, you speaking directly at them, do not have a love for God. John chapter 5, verse 42. Speaking mostly of the religious leaders, but there was a large crowd there, and then he speaks right at him. He says, you do not have a love for God. I mean, wow, that, that's an amazing thing. Let me just finish. You do not have a love for God in your heart. So we begin to see it in Romans chapter 10, where we studied a few weeks ago. God said this. He says, you have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. So now he's saying, yeah, there's something going on in your heart, but there's no knowledge there. So knowledge becomes a significant part of what we're doing. So let's just talk about knowledge. So knowledge is this idea that we should increase in our knowledge of God. We should be growing in our understanding of who God is and what God is doing. And so part of people that are going deeper with God, that are maturing, their affections, their love is growing for God, but their knowledge for God continues to grow. Remember Matthew 22, it says this, love God with all of your heart, but love him with all of your mind. There's a sense in which we love God with our commitment to grow in him. I just love how many people said, I'm serious about growing. So they not only answer the question, I want to follow Christ, but when we ask the question, do you want to grow? They say yes. And my failure in so much of my ministry was I believed for two long not everybody wants to grow you and only you can answer that question do you really want to grow spiritually and if you say yes there is everything in place at Fox Alley Church to help you grow spiritually and one of them is to increase the affections of your heart but another one is to grow in the knowledge of God so in Romans 7 or 10, verse 2, it says, you have a zeal, but without knowledge. In other words, you're never going to grow deeper if you do not grow in your knowledge of God. Well, the third one is obedience, right? 
It says in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice. You can jump through all the hoops, but if you're not obeying God from the heart, it is empty. So obedience becomes a part of it. You will never grow deeper with God. And you can take this to the bank. You will never grow more intimately with Christ if you do not obey Christ. There will be a block in your relationship. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10. It says that in John 14, 21, anyone or this one, the one who keeps my commandments, that's the one who loves me. Hear how Jesus said this in John 14, 21. The one who keeps my commandments, the one who obeys, that's the one who loves me. So you can begin to see there's a connection between all of these words. So different generations have different emphases. Different personalities, different temperaments have different emphases in all of these. So we could say, There's a group of people that say, oh, I'm all fired up about God. I love God. But they live in sin. They're disobedient. They will never grow in their relationship with Christ. So when we say, do you want to grow? What we're saying is you need to grow in all three of these. You can't just choose one. Now, a previous generation... I'm not sure what that generation is, but they measured oftentimes their growth with God based on knowledge. So they always had to be learning something new about God. And so they measured the pastor, i.e. me, are you teaching me something new? As if that's the only measure of growth. Now, we're committed to growing in our knowledge of God. We're committed to growing in our theology and our understanding of doctrine. But, can I just say it as I so often say? The devil has a ton of knowledge. His problem is not knowledge. His problem is love. He loves all the wrong things. That's what Jesus said, too, to the Jewish people. He said, you love the darkness more than the light. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. They loved the darkness. Current generation, I see this so often. They say, oh, I love God. I love God. As they begin to live with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. As men walk in pornography, as women turn to romance novels and even porn themselves and all these kinds of things, they say, but I love God. But there's no obedience. So these kind of things need to work together. And what was happening in Romans chapter 11, the Jews were saying, hey, we have knowledge We got the law. We were given the Torah. We were given the Ten Commandments. We were given all of that. And then they even had some zeal. 
but they missed a critical piece in the knowledge. They could not see that God's plan included a crucified Messiah. And so what happened? They had a zeal without knowledge. Consequently, they would not obey. And that is a serious, serious problem. So now let me see if I can pull this a little tighter together. We need to have a picture like this. It needs to be focused on Jesus Christ. And what concerns me, and as you just heard, I mean, they photoshopped all them things. Did you see that in those pictures? The focus has to be on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is becoming one of the most offensive people in the world. And you and I, we are going to have to decide, are we going to teach the truth, stay in the circle of knowledge that Jesus is the only way? We have got to stay the course. We have got to stay the path. And so many people are avoiding these simple truths that are in the Scriptures. And they're saying things like, well, you can believe whatever you want. All paths lead, lead to God. And God just didn't leave that option open. He said, I sent my son. My son said, I'm the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Christ becomes the center of all. The message of the cross becomes the center place. So if you say you want to grow spiritually, then let me encourage you. You need to be growing in knowledge. You need to bring your affections along with you. And you need to obey. Now, let me just say one more thing. Sometimes our hearts are a little cold, aren't they? Okay. You guys aren't tracking. I can see it. Let me just get down into the weeds. And I'll just use my own life. Sometimes I don't feel like loving Kathy. We get into a spiff. That's a synonym for a fight. Christians don't fight, so we use spiff. We call it disagreements, right? So what happens? My heart gets even colder. Then the Holy Spirit comes along, and I don't like when He does this, but He starts reminding me that I am supposed to die to myself. Now it's awfully hard to fight when one person's dead. I'm just speaking about myself now. My wife never sins. She never has a problem. But so it's on me, right? But here's where I want to go. When I choose to submit to the Word of God and obey it and love my wife as Christ loved the church. How did He love the church? He laid Himself down. Died and laid Himself down for her. Then, all of a sudden, my affections begin to grow. See how that works? So the synergism of these different things become really, really important. Sometimes it's through the path of obedience that my affections or my desires begin to change. And it just gets played out in marriage. If I decide to submit and follow the Holy Spirit and love my wife as Christ loved the church, which was sacrificially, 
which was with humility, which was with brokenness, then all of a sudden that obedience starts changing. But notice what was involved, knowledge. Now, if you don't have knowledge, the Holy Spirit sometimes brings us to this place of knowledge. It's so powerful what God is doing. So, the Israelites, as we were talking about, struggled with this. We don't want to, so we want to go deeper, and we do it by keeping Christ at the center. Let's move on to the second part of verse 11. We're not getting very fast into this, but let me go further. Because of their transgression, because of their hardness of heart, Paul uses another word here, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So God says, okay, have it your way. Do what you want to do, but I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to reach the world the way I always intended. So what we have is a very simple picture. Israel's looking at the Jew or the Gentiles. The Jews are looking at the Gentiles and they see this blessing coming down on them. They see them rejoicing and celebrating and there's a good life. And the Jews are growing in their jealousy. Why? Because they're missing out on the very promises of God. You and I will miss out on the promises of God when we let our affections grow cold, when we disobey, or when we don't grow in knowledge, when we don't go deeper, we are missing out on what God has for us. And that's exactly what was happening with Israel. And so God said, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles, throwing salt in the wound, and they became increasingly more jealous as we go through. Well, let's look a little further. Verse 12, look what Paul writes. He says, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will there be when they finally come in with this full inclusion? So what Paul is hinting at and that we'll touch on next week even more is that God has a plan to bring in hordes That's millions of Jews into the kingdom. So that's what he's saying is that Israel's transgression, it meant riches for the world. God was turning to the Gentiles. Now he was going to do that anyways, but his point here is that because of this, it pressed God's plan in a certain direction. And when he's talking about full inclusion, all the greater riches, let me just tell you, God has a plan to bless anyone that will come to him through Jesus Christ. And it is an eternal blessing. It is rich and full. No matter what this world has, it will never compare to what God has for those in Jesus Christ. It is so amazing to think about what God has for you. I hope this is stirring your affections. I hope this is giving you hope that this world, no matter what you're going through, it's coming to an end. If you've got cancer now and you're fighting this to the very end, I'm telling you, one day there'll be no cancer, there'll be no more illness, and you'll be celebrating in full recovery with full strength, full mind. If you are losing your mind because your mind is becoming more feeble because of aging, I'm telling you, there's gonna be a time and you have a stronger mind than you could ever have dreamed possible. If you are young and you are struggling with different issues, there's a time you're going to see in the future where you'll never struggle again with anxiety or fear or anger or all of these things. But I could go on and on. Let me keep us moving. Here's the next thing I want us to look at. And the second point is that you need to know God's promises and rejoice. You need to know God's promises and rejoice. Look what he says here. 
He says very clearly, I'm talking to you Gentiles, i.e., that's us right now. Even as he was talking to the Gentiles in the church at Rome, he says, as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, look what he says, I take pride in my ministry. I rejoice in what God is doing because I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in it. That's what he's talking about. I rejoice in these promises. I rejoice that God is stirring the hearts of my people, even if it's towards jealousy towards them because of all the promises he's pouring out. Why? So that he'll arouse my own people. Paul as a Jew is saying, I want my people aroused. I want them stirred up. I want them to see the blessings of God so that some of them will be saved. So let's look at the last couple verses as we come to an end this morning. He says, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from dead? I'm telling you, there is going to be a pouring in of Jewish believers into the kingdom. And it may be in your lifetime. Pray for that. We long for that. Then he goes on, he says, if part of the dough offered, in other words, there's a remnant, as we talked about last week, a first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And he's setting us up for next week. He says the same thing about a root. It's just a proverb. Now, let me just close with this this morning because I want to tell you, you are on the winning side. God is on the move. There are roughly, we're just shy of 8 billion people in the world. 8 billion people. There are now, in 2022, as best as we can discern, 2.6 billion Christians. The largest group of religious people. If you flip that on the end, the other end, the number of atheists is declining drastically. God is on the move. You could put it this way, about 34% of the world is following Jesus Christ. What a remarkable number. God's kingdom is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Even as we sit here this morning, the projections of growth are phenomenal of what God's Spirit is doing as He's drawing people into the kingdom. Just so you are clear, the Western world is maybe plateauing, even though there's some growth globally, Africa is growing at almost three times the rate of the Western world. It is an amazing pouring out of God's Spirit and a pouring in of Africans into the kingdom of God. There are, catch this, 92 million new believers every year. So by the end of 2022, another 92 million believers will come into the kingdom, and God is on the move. So as we close this morning, let's not forget, let's not forget that we're here and that we have hope and the promises because of Jesus Christ. We have all that Christ wants 
to do. So let's not overlook that at one time we were blind. Let's not ever forget that at one time we were far from God and he is bringing people in. So what I want to do this morning is let's thank Jesus. Let's thank Jesus for what he's doing, for being our king, for being our Lord, for pulling us into the kingdom, and that he is pulling in millions more into his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Father, we rejoice in your work. We celebrate your work. We find it, God, just almost incredibly hard to believe so many millions of people are coming into the kingdom every year. And God, we know that that number is going to increase. And so we look forward to it and we look forward to the inclusion of the Jewish people. And God, we just praise you for Jesus Christ, his kingship. He is our Lord. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.